Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the second episode of the Mustangs Report. Today, we're talking about and celebrating Women in Sport Day. I'm your guest host, Joan Shao Chen. I'm a fifth year swimmer here at Western and the president of the Mustangs Athletic Student Council. We'll be joined by some of our student athletes and alumni today, including some who attended the Olympics or are playing professionally. But first, we will be joined by three of our women head coaches, as well as our director of sport and recreation. And today we're joined by a couple of our head coaches. We have Melissa Bartlett, who's the head coach of our women's volleyball team, Candace Moxley, our head coach of the women's hockey team, Vicki Crowley, the head coach of the track and field team, as well as Christine Stapleton, who's our director of sports and recreation at Western. So hi everyone. Morning. Hello. Hi Joan. <laughs> All right, so today we're here to talk about and celebrate the National Girls and Women's in Sports Day. So it's all about recognizing and breaking the gender stereotypes built around the sports industry. So we can start with discussing what you think some of the biggest barriers in driving the visibility of women's sports are. Um, and did you face any challenges either in your sport career or when you transitioned from your athletic to coaching or leadership careers? Um, sure, Joan. I guess I'll, I'll start, um, probably because I've been coaching the longest. This is my 28th mm -hmm. season at Western, and I've been coaching for over 30 years. Um, but I would say throughout my career, uh, the life-work balance, when the time that my children were young, so Candace, you're just getting <laughs> going to get a taste of that very soon, um, was probably the most difficult uh, time for me as a coach and and the biggest barrier I think that women today do face um you know being away from coaching the parenting roles you know are, are different for for men and 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 women or your spouse um and you really do need a supportive partner in order to allow the other uh partner to uh be able to coach because coaching takes you away it takes you away from you know in some cases you're your dinner time, um, driving your kids around to different sports, doing their weekend activities as well. Um, but I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. And then maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the um, strategies that can can help uh, young uh, coaches early in their career when they're just raising a family. Yeah, for sure. I know actually Melissa, uh, when you were having your child, you were actually taken away from one of the games of your team. So was this kind of like an additional, I guess, pressure that you found being a woman made your career more challenging? Uh, I would say in ways, in ways, yes. But in other ways, I think it's been totally wonderful to have my kids in and around the gym and the sporting environment. I would say for any um, young mom who's coaching, you have to have an outstanding support system. Because again, it's it's just a little bit of a different typical schedule. Uh, nine to five daycare doesn't really cut it for me. So I'm lucky to have family nearby. And I think just the ability and like the support of our administration to say, bring your kids to practice, bring your kids to the gym, they can come into the office. That has been really instrumental. And I know my kids absolutely love it. Um, my son's um, so social and I really credit that and outgoing and I credit that to all the time he spent on campus when he was young and seeing different teams and being in the stands at games. So there's definitely challenges, but I think there's also a lot of rewards in having young kids uh, be around sport too. 
Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that, Melissa. Um, you know, I, I because I've been coaching for so long and, and things have evolved in that perspective with where you can bring your kids to, uh, to events and to practices, um, whereas that hasn't always been the case. Um, you know, early in my coaching career, when I first started at Western, um, I was coaching um, a very high level athlete outside of Western and she, she moved from Toronto uh, to work with me in London. And it was, it was her and I, I was coaching her one-on-one. -on -one. And at the time, like she did not, I had an eight month old when I started at Western and this, the athlete um, didn't want me to have my child at practices with her and uh, that was really difficult and she since has had two kids of her own and has apologized uh immensely for 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 that happening but there's also like there was also a, a time when um i remember the head coach uh who i was covering for who was on maternity leave came down not at western but came to her university practice for a runoff and they called security on her because she brought her child into mm -hmm. the facility. Um, so, you know, there. Yeah, I'd like to think that we've come a long way since then. So I'm glad to hear that, Melissa. Yeah. I mean, my, my experience, I'm not there just yet, um, but uh, I've, I had a high school coach who was very instrumental in, in my athletic career. and she always brought her kids around and it's it's funny still we're in touch to this day but I'm also in touch with her kids still to this day um and seeing how they're doing and how they're progressing in their in their lives but I mean as a athlete and being in that environment it's kind of cool to see kind of where everybody goes and what direction they go after the fact but with what Melissa said too just being around the team um we had a lot of fun it just kept things <laughs> He kept you on your toes um, so you didn't like run into any little person when you're out there, but um, it was definitely a lot of fun. Joan, I wonder if I could uh, pivot the conversation a little bit to talk about yeah, uh, barriers sure. uh, as it relates to visibility and investment in women's sport. I, I think of uh, I think of the success of, uh, you know, Christine Sinclair and our women's soccer team last summer and uh, you couldn't buy a jersey. So, uh, you know, we, we were able to, uh, through the portal of the Olympics, really get uh, exposure and, and that connection to that team. Uh, but the sustainability is, is not there in a sense that you go to a, a local sports store and you, and you can't pick up a jersey. Or, or uh, the women's hockey uh, team. The Tim Hortons recently put a uh, hockey card program together and uh, for Team Canada and only had five of the cards with a women's hockey player. So, um, and, the, and the WNBA is another example of, of, a, of a league that has shown record-breaking engagement, and yet we're still not offering um, these sports leagues, uh, you know, with the same level of investment. They're newer, uh, so they need um, investments. And I even think of the, the programs that these three women are running. Uh, they're just not in the game as long and have that depth of uh, alumni engagement and, phil and philanthropic engagement. So I think that 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 continues to be a, a barrier. Um, 
in my role that I can see is, is that investment and, and that visibility uh, of women's sports, either on TV or in the marketplace. Yeah, just recently in the NHL, um, there was a recent hire, Emily Cascongay. Um, her and I are both alumni of the same university. Um, she was just hired as the assistant GM for Vancouver Canucks. Um, so there's, there's glass ceilings that are being broken um, on the men's side, but still we're, we're not there yet. Um, it's just, uh, I was listening to one of her interviews and she said, if, if you do the work, you have the knowledge, there's a place for you there but it's a matter of men attaining those places, giving the opportunities and having, having someone believe in you and, and offering you that position, knowing that you're going to do well with it and you're going to be successful. So there's still, even on the men's side with women breaking those, those barriers, but on the women's side, a lot of what Christine said with those limitations, like there isn't, we have two kind of women's pro hockey leagues, but they're, they butt heads. Um, they're not going in the same direction where we all want the, the sport to grow. Um, and there is a market there for it, but it's, it's that investment piece that's, that's missing. So we'd love to see our players go on and play at the highest level possible. But what is that right now? Um, so it's really hard for us as coaches to, hey, like, there's this opportunity, this opportunity. There's, they're, they're limited. Um, so it's, it's really tough. Um, for us to kind of, kind of what's next after, after you graduate from university. Um, so that's, that's a, that's a, a pretty, pretty strong barrier right there. Yeah. And just, just to add on to that, uh, Candace, um, and Christine, I mean, you've been hiring women like coaches for, uh, women's sports, um, for years. And it's always hard to have women apply for those positions um, in, in some cases. And I do think that confidence is also a barrier um, for women um, when applying for jobs such as coaching. I mean, research has shown that a, a woman may not apply for a job if she doesn't think that she is fully qualified. So if you don't have all the qualifications that are listed in a job application, you, you may not actually go in ahead and apply. Whereas, you know, many men will go ahead and apply if they don't have all the qualifications because they think, oh, but I could do this, I can do this, I can add this program. And it's, so what ends up happening is we really have to recruit our potentially strong women coaches who are current athletes in our uh, respective sports um, to apply. And you do have to encourage them. And it's, I remember recently telling a recent hire um, across the country uh, at another university that she needs to take the same confidence that she had as an athlete into this coaching interview and role. And she went ahead and she ended up getting hired for the position. Um, so I, we need the support and we, you know, it's not if um, a woman doesn't necessarily apply for a position, it doesn't mean they're not out there and there isn't the interest. You have to look at the number of athletes that we've had in our sports that are equal to the number of men that have been involved and that that balance or, or the number um, of uh, moving on in a career in sport should be the same amount so we should be having more of these women apply especially when we have some 
you know, good female role models starting to be in these positions. Yeah, and actually for, I guess, listeners who don't know, we have majority of our senior leadership team at Western is in the athletic department are women. So we have Christine, we have Stephanie White, the director of sport, Beth Emery, Bonnie Cooper. So I guess, Christine, for you being in this senior leadership position, do you feel additional pressure because you're a woman and you're dealing with a lot of male coaches or male student athletes? Or is it something that I guess doesn't really come to mind? <laughs> oh, that's a great question, Joan. Um, uh, you know, I follow uh, here at Western, a great leader in Trey's Quigley. So she was a very strong um, pioneering leader in uh, women's sport in Ontario. Um, she was uh, one of the leaders as an athletic director that uh, supported the amalgamation of the OWIAA, which is the Ontario Women's Intercollegiate Athletic Association and the OUAA, which there used to be two, there used to be a men's and a women's um, a conference structure. And Trey's uh, was one of the le leaders at the time that uh, merged that structure into what we currently have, which is the OUA. And she did the exact same thing as a leader here at Western, merging the um, Western Mustang Athletic Alumni Association used to have two different structures. And under her leadership, when she was here, it's now a stronger, uh, more diverse um, alumni uh, chapter here at Western, uh, the Western Mustang Athletic Alumni. Uh, so I, I follow a great leader here at Western, but I was in my role as the athletic director at the University of Calgary, the first female athletic director there. Um, and uh, with the role uh, that I has had at the, uh, in my, before Calgary, I was the assistant director at uh, Waterloo. Um, it, it is about uh, building connections and relationships based on my skill set, not my gender. And uh, I think that's uh, something that I've, uh, I mentioned, Therese, that I'm not going to get into all the women that I had been mentored uh, by over the years. Uh, but there's certainly, I feel a responsibility to continue to, to uh, path a way forward for others that will come after me as well. Um, uh, again, you mentioned Stephanie White, a tremendous leader. Very, very grateful that she is here at Western and in the role that she has as director of sport. That's a, that's a strong uh, leader um, in sport uh, that happens to be a woman. And uh, she will go on. Um, you know, she's doing great things here at Western and uh, wherever she, she will lead, she'll be a great leader. So, um, yeah, it, it is really important to me to continue to find ways uh, to support and, and build a breadth of diversity too. Uh, that's one thing that we haven't really talked about yet is, is, is bringing leaders that maybe that don't, they don't look like me uh, or the other women that are on this call and making sure that there's a space and place um, for them, uh, for all of us. Uh, because if, if you, if you can't see it, you can't dream that you can be it. And that's one of the things that I had as a student athlete at Laurentian University many years ago was, uh, you know, watching Michelle Belanger uh, uh, coaching at the University of Toronto. Uh, she was such a, a strong professional leader. Uh, and that was, uh, I saw it and I wanted to be it. And I think that's where I was inspired um, to get into higher high level sport at university and then, you know, kind of situate my, my career at where I am now. So sorry, long answer, but just to kind of give you the context of, of, of the 
the culture and the climate in Canada. And I guess kind of further from there, um, like Melissa and Candice, you both coach women's teams, but Vicky, you coach mm -hmm. a co-ed team where the men and women train together. So do you notice any difference in the way that the men and women athletes approach sport? And is there anything that you need to do as a coach to encourage them in different ways? Well, that's a great question too, Joan. Um, and I, I have been asked that before, and I would say that my answer probably would, would have changed over, over the years. Um, as I said, I've been coaching men and women for over 30 years. And as far as athletes, like what they do physically in terms of reps, sets, intensities, they are the same. Um, the differences there are more individual, not based on gender. Um, you know, I'd say mentally it's a little bit different, um, but it can also be based on the individual. But I would say that trends over my career, um, I have noticed that men tend not to open up as much and they may think that a problem will just go away, whereas most women will tell me something um, that I might not be asking them for, like, or they may tell me that something is off or you know, they had a bad day today or they have their period or they're just, you know, they're not feeling. So they're, they're but I have noticed, I would say more in the last five years, which is great. And maybe it's because there's been a greater emphasis on mental health that more men have been opening up. But sometimes, uh, yeah, so, that, so that's, I, I don't coach them any differently, but what I do is I make sure that I try to communicate with all the men and women when they show up to practice to ask them because sometimes not only men but some certain individuals won't necessarily tell me something unless i do ask them so there you go <laughs> so i guess vicky you touched on this encouraging communication and some others you mentioned um, more activity that we need to encourage women to apply for coaching roles. Um, are there any other things that you think we can do either at the university level or even earlier to ensure more female athletes are getting involved in sport and that they stay in sport? Um, yeah, I think, Joan, I don't know if you attended last year our um, Stay in the Game conference where we were trying to recruit. I remember, you know, being at a, on a coaching panel, um, talking about women in coaching and, and potential in, um, issues um, that we might have and some advice that we are giving current coaches and why there aren't as many women coaches. And I, I thought at that, one of the panels I was on, I thought talking to the wrong organization right here. Like they've, we've all, they've all bought into coaching they are women that are coaching right now. We need to recruit more. And I mean, as it's been mentioned on this call, having the, the role models in positions does help, um, but we have to actively recruit our current student athletes, for example, or athletes in the sport to let them know that there are uh, positions available uh, for, co for them to contribute in the sport at a volunteer or a, a paid position um, in, um, women in sport leadership positions that aren't or in sport leadership positions that aren't always highly uh, represented by women such as coaching and officials and 
you know, how can they stay involved in, in the sport? And we've done a really good job at Western, particularly in the women in leadership role, as, as Christine had mentioned and, and talked about the incredible women leaders that we've had. And Candace had a, had a female uh, coach as a mentor as well. And, and so did I, and that is really important to, to be able to, as Christine said, if you don't see it, you can't be it. Um, but a few of the things over my coaching career that I, like I moved, like that I've made it, we have to make our lives a little bit easier to manage coaching. Um, and, and men can do this too. I mean, we literally moved a kilometer away from the university. Um, so when my kids were young, I could maybe leave the university, go to one of their school events, go and watch half of a game before I went to my own practice. Um, get home as soon as dinner was, <laughs> or as soon as practice was done, so I could be there before they went to bed. Things, things like that. We have to put those types of uh, initiatives in place, and also at like a national team event or a, or a training camp, allow um, children to to attend with their parents, not only women. Um, I know many years ago, um, I believe it was the women's basketball coach at the University of Alberta. Um, had changed her practice time to earlier in the day um, so she could, you know, be home with her family uh, in the evening and, and help out there. So there are initiatives uh, that I think we can put in place to, to make it a little bit more enticing. And also having mentorship programs, uh, which is, has really um, increased the number of mentorship programs for women in coaching have increased in the last uh, few years. So you have a young coach who is working as a mentee with a mentor um, and, and that mentor can, can help advise them throughout their, you know, earlier in their career and be a sense of support for them. Yeah, I'll say what the one of the things that came to mind, um, Joe, when you asked that question is like participation. It's not only um, in like women in leadership coaching roles or sport roles, but also just like youth participation in sport. And I think sometimes it's just about like showing them the pathway that does exist. Um, we've ref a lot of us have referenced what Christine said. You have to see it to know that you can or want to be it. So I know I've taken some of my athletes to uh, local club practices or high school practices, and they don't know that university sport is a thing. If they don't grow up in a family where that is a part of, you know, the, something they've been um, exposed to. So I think teaching that. And then I would even say one of the cool things I've seen at my level is telling my athletes about the opportunities that do exist beyond university sport. Uh, I have three uh, recently graduated players who are currently playing professionally in Europe um, in various volleyball leagues. And two of them came into university not knowing that was an option, right? So really, again, show them the opportunities that exist that they can aspire to. Um, but I think showing them those pathways is really important because women's sport opportunities aren't always visible in mainstream media. So really reaching out and connecting and showing those opportunities, I think is really key. With, with a lot of the programs that I've been involved with, um, we've always tried to make a strong relationship with the local organizations in the area. Um, so we'll go out, uh, we'll send our players. I won't, I won't go. It will just be our players that will attend practices and, and help run drills and get on the ice with younger girls um, that all love the sport. Um, but putting them kind of and 
the coaches do let them run drills as well, which is a great experience and opportunity for them to kind of get on that stage and what it would feel like and if they enjoy it or if they don't. Um, but our players love doing that. And it's just once a week, but it's, it's something that they all look forward to and look forward to participating in. Um, and just with our sport Western camps as well. Um, so with those camp opportunities, our players will be the coaches on the ice. And again, we'll meet and we'll talk about practice. We'll talk about the age group, the levels, and it's an opportunity for, for me to mentor them and how to develop some coaching strategies. And, and it, it all hopefully leads into something that once they graduate, they want to give back to the game, or maybe they'll have a family of their own down the line and they'll want to coach their team, their, their kids' teams, boy or girl, doesn't matter. Um, but that's definitely something that we get them out there early, plant that seed, and hopefully it grows into something down the, down the line. Thank you. Well, we're almost up to our time, but is there any final advice? Mm, sorry, <laughs> that you would want to give either a woman considering a career in sport or she's just starting her career? Um, maybe, Joan, I'll jump off uh, first. I think that um, uh, mentorship, networking, um, you know, starting with uh, with where folks are right now, whether they're listening from a high school, a club, uh, in a university program, um, building their network, uh, because that's where a lot of uh, progress can be made. And I also think consideration of non-traditional um roles in sport something uh that maybe we haven't even seen or thought about yet with the evolution of esports digital media online uh there's just so many things that we can do in sport um that and entrepreneurial approaches to sport um that um thinking about different ways to stay in the game that's uh, not just uh you know playing those traditional roles that we're accustomed to seeing yeah, and then I'll just add on to that. I mean, as Christine said, the mentorship and the networking is just so valuable. And we just need to encourage, you know, those young athletes um, or those early in their career to, to reach out. Um, and I, we have to do, so, you know, we're still trying to um, break some barriers. So we still want to have more women coaching and, and officiating and being referees. Um, we need to provide the same opportunities in leagues and professional sports. We need to keep fighting for, for those things um, and, and making it visible. Um, having professional sports leagues pay women the same as they pay men. Like that is a no brainer. Like I, we, that we have to strive for that. We think it's impossible, but we have to keep fighting for our women athletes. Um, and then women being portrayed equally in the media, um, that has, we have to continue to fight that battle. So there are a number of organizations that are trying to do this and we have to keep doing this. I mean, this, this podcast is an example. This is outstanding that this is a standalone, you know, topic that's being addressed on this uh, podcast. So we need to keep keep working together, ladies. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll add one thing quick. I think uh, we talked a lot about uh, visibility of sport, barriers in women's sport. And some of us have mentioned um, bits of equity as well. And I think that's something that like females in sport can get inspired by reading some of the truly outstanding stories and learning about some of the pioneers. I recently came across a quote from uh, Billie Jean King. If you're listening and don't know who Billie Jean King is, you should look her up. She would be a great inspiration for a great female sport ro uh, role model. But the quote was this, um, everyone thinks women should be thrilled when we get crumbs. I want women to have the cake, the icing and the cherry on top too. And I thought that was just outstanding and kind of encapsulated how I feel about um, those that are pushing for equity in women's sport because we don't deserve the crumbs. We want, we want all of it and we want to be seen as equal um, and how we're represented and valued and respected as well. Thank you. I think that's a great way to end this segment. So uh, thank you all for joining me this morning and hope you have a great day. So for this segment, I'm joined by two of our current student athletes. We have Lauren Pastor from the volleyball team and Samantha Roberts from the swim team, as well as two of our recent alumni, Kelsey Beltman from volleyball and Joy Spearchief Morris from track and field. So hi, everyone. Thanks for having us. All right. So let's start by recognizing that today we're celebrating Women in Sport Day. Um, what does this mean to you guys? Like, does it remind you some of the challenges that you face as a woman in sport? And overall, do you think things have improved over the years? Or is it something that you continuously have to think about and struggle with? I guess when I think of like women in sport day, um, I think about like all of the women who I've met along my sport journey that have like impacted me or have been part of um, my career in some way. And I think about how grateful I am for them. Like um, my coach in the last uh, five, six years um, was Vicki Crawley, who's the head coach for, um, women, for, track, for women and men's track and field for Western. And um, just the role that she played in my career, but also in so many of the athletes who were on our team and post-collegiate athletes that we would not have been able to accomplish or be the people that we are without her. And I think uh, we need more women coaches like that and more women in sport like that. So I think um, a day like this is a really good chance to really acknowledge those people. Yeah, I totally agree. And Kelsey, I don't know if you can um, relate to this, but for Women in Sport Day, like I feel really lucky to be playing a sport um, that's like female dominated. Um, volleyball gets a lot of the, like women's volleyball gets a lot more coverage than men's volleyball. Um, and it's just more well known throughout the world. And so for me, I recognize how lucky that is because there's a lot of other um, athletes in my Western community and also globally who don't get a lot of recognition for the sport they play because it is significantly more male dominated. So for Women in Sport Day, like I just always remember that I'm really thankful to be playing a female dominated sport and that I have a better chance of being recognized for my accomplishments and my team. Um, and so today, like I really um, try and think about all of my other female athletes who may not have that opportunity as much in their sports um, and really advocate on their behalf. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Volleyball is one of those sports that has um, pretty decent and equal pay. Um, beach volleyball, for example, has equal pay men and women's, which is pretty rare amongst uh, female and male sports. 
And uh, I think at Western too, especially we had uh, our female coach, Melissa Bartlett. And I feel like that's also pretty rare having a female coach. Um, even in a female dominated sport, there's a lot of male coaches. So it's pretty unique that we were able to learn under her and just have like a strong female role lead us and show us that we um, can empower ourselves um, in sports. Yeah, we actually spoke to Melissa this morning as well as Vicky um, in our first segment with some coaches. So I guess for Sam, like you and I, we have a male head coach, which we are the only ones in this call. Um, do you think there's anything that you would want kind of male coaches or our male athletes to have in mind to help women become more visible in the world of sports? I would say just to like, I guess, uplift us more and put us out there more because it's swimming, like I find a lot of coaches focus on the males. Like, well, in Antigua, I find as well, like I have, a, my head coach is a male and I find even though I'll be doing as well as the top um, guy in the island, I'm, I'm from Antigua, but like if I'm doing as well as top guys in Antigua, I find that they don't put a lot of focus on me, even though I'm doing as well. And even though we have like a, the manager of the team, like the person who started the um, club is a female and she's even also like overshadowed like she's also in the backgrounds and I find like that's also a lot like something that we have to work on as well in swimming that the guys should try and put us out there more I guess or like like showcase our accomplishments as well. Kelsey right now you're playing overseas professionally um, when did you kind of know that this was the direction that you wanted to go after graduating and how did you I guess what steps did you take to achieve this goal? Um, so I think it was something I knew I wanted to do early in my Western career. I think I've had conversations with my coach about it in my first, second year already. Um, so it was a goal of mine in university. And I kind of just kind of shaped like my training around that almost. Like um, I would do like extra stuff just because I'm like oh I want to take go to the next level like I know I can't just continue what I'm doing um but from there I had some great conversations with uh, Melissa Bartlett um she introduced me to Olympian Sarah Pavin and I had some good conversations with her because she used to play indoor professionally um so it was great to get some advice from her and then um from there I had some great resources doing stuff with our national team and I was introduced to an agent who eventually helped me um, pick a team and find teams and go from there. And I've had um, the same agent for three years now, which has helped me along with my career. So my goal is to just kind of do this as long as I can and then go from there, I guess. And I know like Lauren and I have had conversations about how she's been inspired by uh, players like you, Kelsey, and like Melissa is a name that Lauren often brings up, I guess. So for Lauren, like having these role models that are just a little bit older than you and you see the path that they've taken, what impact does it have on you as like a younger player? Um, it shows me that like it's reassuring when I see Western athletes doing these things because it makes it seem more realistic for me. Like I'm like people on this team before me like have been able to achieve this they've spoken to Melissa and they've had the resources. And um, like Kelsey, like I've been exposed to some of the national team programs, like at the lower levels. And so I feel very supportive that 
if um, I do choose to pursue a career in volleyball, like after university, that I will have the resources and I'll have the people to help me um, find the best fit for me. Um, and I'm also just happy to be at a university where also all these girls like put a lot of effort into their academic success as well. So that even after um, they stop playing, like even though Kelsey wants to do this for as long as she can, right? Like there's still options um, for careers after competition. And so these are things that I really look up to um, in current older players and um, former players on the team as well. Yeah, a big theme, I guess, this morning in our conversation with the coaches was that being able to see women in coaching or leadership positions really inspires you to want to get there yourself. Um, so are, are there many female role models or coaches that you guys can think of that have inspired you over the years? Definitely Paulina. <laughs> Paulina is like definitely a role model to me. Paulina Bond? Bond. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Paulina Bond. <laughs> our, our, I guess, well, she coaches a sprint group mostly, but when she can. But yeah, definitely my role model. <laughs> um, Melissa has definitely been a role model to me. Um, she, I think what I really appreciate about her is how much she pushes to advocate for women in sport. Like as a female coach and as a former athlete, she understands the push um, and the importance of ad advocacy for women. Um, so playing for her makes me feel very supportive, supported because I know that she has our backs and like for example, she is always looking for opportunities for um, my team to like get involved in initiatives like these. And so she's an amazing person um, to reach out to, um, to further my own advocacy. And just to know that she's always advocating for our team makes me feel very supported um, as one of her athletes. And I guess kind of building on that, you know, having that support system as a young athlete is incredibly important. Um, and also, you know, throughout the pandemic, obviously with the, I guess, shift in availabilities to do our sports, there's been a lot of both physical and emotional impacts on all athletes. But I guess for you guys specifically, what has the change been like? Um, and kind of how do you continuously motivate yourself to, you know, get back up and get out there. So I feel like um, I had I had an interesting experience with the pandemic because I was in the midst of my final training cycle for the Tokyo 2020 um, when, when the pandemic started. So I was supposed to be going to California for our yearly training camp and then two weeks before we're supposed to leave the world shut down a week after that they postponed the olympics so everything got pushed and it was it was really hard we lost access to all of our training facilities all of our meets were canceled everything that we need to qualify was canceled um and so we were just we were just training on back roads around the city we were on high school tracks that weren't even full size it was like probably about it was about 150 meters so an, an average size track, uh, a standard size track is 400 meters outdoors and 200 meters indoors. So we didn't even have the amount of space that we needed to, to train. We didn't have full equipment for most of the year. Um, and it was really hard to stay motivated, especially when you were then being isolated from your teammates and from your training partners and people you knew. So it was a really kind of um, test of like how much you wanted 
how much you wanted it and how much you wanted something and making it through. And then we got into the fall and we still didn't have facilities. So we ended up training on an ice rink, on an abandoned ice rink with a bit of track laid down. Um, so it really just kind of became a game of adaptability. You learn to become very adaptable and you learn to just know that things can change at the drop of a hat. And um, you have to kind of learn resiliency in some ways. And that doesn't mean it wasn't hard. There were, there were several days where I just, I wanted to quit and just not show up again the next day. And um, days where I just thought, you know, how would my life be if I just never, never, you know, came back the next day. And a lot of it came down to really kind of having to really reflect and think about, you know, why I was doing what I was doing and, and who, who I was doing it for, you know, like you have to do it for yourself, but I had so many amazing people in my corner. Um, like I had Vicky, I had my other coaches, um, like Derek, and then I had a really amazing strength coach in my last year, a female strength coach. And um, I just knew that I needed to see things through and that they were also doing everything in their power because they were dealing with the same sort of shutdowns and same um, restrictions that we were. So they were doing everything they could for, to help us succeed. And so it really became um, a team effort. And especially because people don't really consider track and field a team effort because it's an individual sport. Um, I'm not sure if you feel the same thing with swimming, but it really did become, you feel like you're part of a team and you have a whole team of people who are around you. So it really was, I guess, a test of resiliency and knowing that, you know, in the end, like I, in the end, I made it to Olympic trials. I did not make it to the Olympics, but I, I learned how to be resilient through all of that. So it was a, it was a huge lesson and it's a huge, huge thing, huge thing to go through. And also, um, I guess, along the same lines, when it comes to mental health, I know, Lauren, you're a big advocate on our Western campus for this. How do you, I guess, support the people around you that might be having a harder time adapting and being resilient, like Joy mentioned? Yeah, I was actually going to say um, being in a team sport during the pandemic was, felt very isolating because we weren't able to train all together. And the varying differences between people's motivations um, behind training, where they're being not a season, so some people feeling like, oh, we don't have to train, or some people really wanting to train, um, it can be very difficult to feel like you need to like carry the burden of motivating people individually, like outside of yourself. And that is something that I feel like I struggled with a lot last year is that I tried to like take on other people's frustration and tried to help them as much when I was struggling on my own. And so I think a really important thing um, that I've learned through the pandemic, like personally and in an athletic context, it's like you need to like take care of yourself first. And it's only when you feel confident and comfortable and safe with how you are doing mentally is when you can reach out and start thinking about how you can impact other people. And that has been the scenario more where I felt like I've been in a better place this year to reach out and help people. And I think the biggest thing is like people don't like feeling like you're forcing things on them. Um, so kind of explaining to your teammates that um, you are somebody that they can come talk to and that like I have access to resources that if they need them, they can approach me. Um, and I think that has been pretty decent because I've had some teammates come up to me and just explain that they've been struggling, um, whether I've just been like a listening ear or I have been able to offer them um, a resource. I think that's the best approach to go because it's difficult to um, see somebody struggling, but then try and actively do something when they're not ready to like take that on. Um, so the pandemic has put a strain on team sports a lot because everybody's de dealing with different things. 
Um, but I found that that has been what has helped me the most, um, like getting through this time um, in a team context. Going back to our main theme today of, you know, the resiliency of women in sport, um, what do you think are some barriers that are holding young girls back from joining sports? And what are some things we can do to encourage them to not only join, but to stay involved in sports? I would say, sorry, you go, Sam. Um, I was thinking about this, but mostly coming from like, I guess, a race perspective, like black women in sports, well, in more of like swimming, because swimming is very much a predominantly white sport, I guess you would say. So like in the Caribbean, a lot of, um, what well, I guess people, Antigua, Antigua, a lot of girls will, it's predominantly black, but like a lot of girls would drop out of swimming because they're not, I guess, not represented much in the sport. So even like how, like for me, like part of the reason why I also want to stay in there and still do well is so that a lot of girls coming up would see that they can stay in the sport and they can achieve, like do well and make their mark as well as anybody else. So I would say like having like a role model or that person you can look up to that's kind of like you to, um, to have like a round or see that they're doing it as well. It's, it's a really good thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you, Sam. That was like a big thing for me as well um, throughout sport was was this idea of like representation and, and never seeing anyone who looked like me in in sport or even growing up on um, all the sports I played. I grew up in a very predominantly white um, community. So I was always the only person of color or often the only person of color um, on any of the sports teams I played with, so, played on. Um, so it, I've always been a really big pusher for representation as well. And I think when, um, especially women of color, when, when, when girls who, you know, may identify as black, indigenous, um, you know, um, as a people, as a person of color, when they can see someone like you, you know, achieving or, you know, achieving your goals or setting out to achieve your goals and, and, you know, reaching high levels of sport, it, it shows them that they can do it too. Like I, I just, I grew up with an older brother who was very athletic and I've just kind of always known like men in sports. So I've just always kind of chased after that. Um, but it was really kind of becoming into sport and seeing how many strong women there are that are amazing role models that, you know, kind of showed me uh, that there is a place for us in, in this sport as well. Um, I guess to kind of touch on some of like the benefits of why, like I think it's really important for women to join sport, at least in my own opinion and my experience, like it gave me a lot of confidence and introduced me to like, and showed me sides of myself that I don't think I would have discovered like without sport. Um, I think that I really came into my own once I started feeling more confident. I was able to start building relationships with teammates. Like I didn't really have a lot of friends. Um, or big groups of friends like growing up until I joined sport and was able to be in social situations where I had to like actually practice interacting with people um, on a team. And I think the camaraderie that you feel um, being part of a team sport um, really helps you build the confidence to make those connections with people at school and outside of the sports context. Um, and another thing for me that was really important was like the confidence in my leadership, like since joining 
um, sports in high school, I was really able to like start taking charge of group projects um, or like speaking up when like everybody else was nervous too. Um, and so for me, like I've seen the benefit that it's done for me and bringing myself out of my shell, which I don't think would have happened without sport. Um, so for me, that's why like I encourage people um, to join sport and to stay in sport. And I think if we just really like focused on the confidence that you can gain from being a sport for women, I would hope that more young girls would choose to stay to see the long-term benefit of being part of a team um, and being competitive. Yeah, I personally like to jump at any opportunity of like coaching young girls or talking to a group of young girls because I remember when I was younger going to my first like university volleyball game or international volleyball game and just like I didn't even realize that that was achievable at that age. So just I feel like introducing yourself or like telling your story or you know, showing that younger girls that like, these are some steps, like these are next levels you can achieve. And these are things you can do. And it's not just your dad coaching you. Like there's so many other opportunities. And I feel like a lot of young girls sometimes might not even realize that that's even possible. So I, I love to coach or talk about these things to them and encourage them to, you know, if that's something they want to do to like, it's totally attainable. And I feel like a lot of little kids like aren't exposed to those like big things yet all the time so just like that and posting on social media um especially if you have a younger following um just trying to like show them that you know the ncaa games that are going on you know stuff like that and just trying to keep your posts like uh, appropriate for and like educate and stuff like that i think is also hugely important Yeah, well, so I guess to finish off, if you guys had one piece of advice to give to a younger version of yourself, what would that kind of be? Um, at a really young age, I started getting really frustrated um, that I could didn't find my sport because all my friends were playing sports and I tried like every sport and nothing worked for me. And it got really frustrating until I found volleyball. So I guess my piece of advice to my younger self would be just be patient and what you love will come to you. You will find the thing that you click with. You'll find the thing that you really enjoy. Um, but just keep your mind open and know that um, sports has a lot to offer in a lot of different forms um, in team sports and individual sports. Um, and yeah, from all walks of life. Great. Well, thank you all so much for joining me today. I think Lauren's piece of advice is a great note to end this segment on. So um, hope you all have a great day and happy Women in Sport Day. <laughs>